Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Part of our Words in Red series still, but the next several weeks, uh, we're going to be talking about prepper parables. How many people watch Doomsday Preppers or have seen the show? All right. Some of us in the wilderness, we've prepped. Uh, we're ready. But we're going to talk about prepper parables. Things Jesus has several themes uh, that are repeated throughout the gospel, uh, and he is continually preparing people for eternity. For this whole theme, it's preparing people for eternity. And there is a set of parables uh, uh, that we're going about to go through that are pre- to make sure we're really prepared. You're living in preparation for eternity. And we're going to go through about uh, five parables that we're going to classify as prepper parables. But let's pray real quick, uh, and before we dive into the Word today. Father God, we thank you for your sweet spirit felt here today. But I just, uh, I just lift you up. God, I am, I am weak. I am nothing. Lord, we are nothing before you, God. I don't have it all together. Father, I need you. God, and we just give you glory. God, I just give you glory that, Lord, I give you my tongue. I give you my heart. I give you my mind, my life, my relationships, my finances. Father, that we would just come to you and say, God, we don't have it all together. We don't know everything right all the time. We don't always make the right uh, decisions. But, God, we come to your word Lord, we come to your Holy Spirit to be our source, our supply, our guide. And Father, I just pray today that, Father, we would just uh, put everything else aside and say, God, what does your word say? And how do I apply it to my life uh, in a real world, practical way? And how am I led by your Holy Spirit each and every day? And somebody said, Amen. Amen. How many people want to live the good life? Amen. Amen. Live the good life. We're going to talk about this morning, our, this sermon, we're going to title... The me and the now. And have you ever had the problem of too much money? Anybody ever had that problem? I'm seeing no hands across this building. Never had the problem. Nobody ever had the problem of having too much money, too much wealth. You know, you might say, no, but I wish I did, right? Wouldn't you like to live the lifestyles of the rich and the famous? Um, But what would really happen? You know, you, you see these people that win the lottery, and they're like bankrupt in three years. What would really happen if God gave you everything you thought that you needed? Every, all that, if we, if we say, God, I really need this. What would you, if God gave you an immense, uh, uh, an immense amount of wealth, what would really happen? Or maybe if you inherited a large sum of money, uh, would you save it? Uh, would we spend some of it, of course? Uh, but would we, would we ask God... Father, what should I do with this? What should I do with this? And uh, the Bible has been called uh, the basic instructions before leaving earth. Anybody ever heard that before? The B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. And that's kind of how we're going to look at it today. That Jesus is continually giving these themes, and some of these themes you've heard repeated in our Words in Red series. But if Jesus thought they were important enough to repeat these themes, then they are important for us today uh, to continue to take a look at them. But this prep, we're going to look at the Bible today as a prepper's guide, a, a guide before leaving earth. And one of the things that we're looking at today is the concern for the me and for the now. I think there's a great woe in the American church today, and it's the worldly concern for the me and for the now. The me, and then now many in the church, uh, we measure our quality of life by worldly standards sometimes. Uh, and we don't even know it, really. We really don't even realize how much we use the world's standard of measurement for satisfaction, for happiness, for abundance. And 
Many in the church, in the American church today, are, are hard workers, but many are not kingdom workers. And you can see that in the, the trend, uh, even the, the Pew Research Center put out a, uh, an article these last month about the decline of Christianity in America. Even though we're one of the number one Christian nations in the world, there's a decline, and we can see it, and we can sense it. You can go to any church in America today, and they can sense that it's not quite what it used to be in America. And you can read, watch the news today, and you can feel it. Are we kingdom workers? Are we hard workers? There's got to be a tension between two worlds. There's God's kingdom, and there's man's kingdom, and we must live in the tension between the two. And so we're going to talk about the concern for the me and now. I want to ask you this before we even begin in our reading today. Ask ourselves this. What am I most concerned about, and what am I working towards? What am I most concerned about, and what am I working towards right now? What, what concerns me most in my life, and what, is I, what am I putting my efforts for in my life right now? What is, what is filling my mind? What is filling my, my heart? What, is, what are my hands busy doing uh, right now in my life? And now you've got your Bibles. Look at Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. I'm going to read that again just so it sinks in. Not even, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And then he told him a parable. And he said this, There's a land, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? And then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, and I'll build bigger ones. And there I'll store my grain and my goods and I'll say to my soul, Soul, you have many good goods laid up for the many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? Jesus said, So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. You know, the millionaire J.D. Rockefeller, I was reading a quote by him, and he said this. He said uh, he was one of the uh, great uh, millionaires in in America in the last century. And he said this. He said, the poorest man I know is the man who has nothing but money. That was pretty good. And he went on to say, he said, I've made many millions. Not many of us can say that. He says, I've made many millions, but they've brought me no happiness. I would, have, I would barter them all for the days that I sat on an office stool in Cleveland and counted myself rich on $3 a week. It's interesting for a millionaire to say that. He said, I would barter it all away if I could just go back to a time when I was actually happy. Sometimes the poorest people are the happiest people. And what's Jesus really saying here? And he, I, I, This phrase stuck out with me this week where he says, not even when one has an abundance... Does his life consist of his possessions? Not even when you have a lot, is that really what your life is all about? And what is the stuff that life really consists of? 
What, what, do you, what would you say your life is made of? What, do you, what would you say to someone on the street that said, what is your life really all about, and how would you measure your life? How would you uh, quantify your life? How would you put worth to your life? And that's what Jesus is talking about today, the stuff that life is made of. And he gives this parable about the abundance of life. What does a good life consist of? What does a life look like that's prepared to meet God today? What does a life look like that is prepared to meet God today? What does your life consist of? Where is our abundance? And where does our happiness come from? And what does all of your life's work really produce? And what are you working towards today? I think uh, we look at our America, we can go to any, the idea of America today, and you could ask anybody on the street, no doubt, and you would say, what's the problem? What, 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 if this is true happiness... What is preventing you from getting to it? What's preventing you from getting to it? What's the problem to my happiness? That's kind of how this guy was. He, no, we don't know if he was the younger brother or the older brother. The older brother was given a double portion. We don't know if there was a squabble in the inheritance. Maybe the lawyers didn't have it all down uh, together. Maybe the will wasn't quite written the way it should have been. We don't know. But he, he thought there was a problem to my happiness and he said, teacher, if you'll just help me handle this out, there's a problem. I, I, I need to be, there's a, something I want to get to. There's some happiness ahead, uh, but I need you to help me sort this financial, this legal matter out. I think today if we look and we can see that there's a problem between us and our happiness, we could say, well, I'd be happier if I had maybe more money. Or if my house had this new addition onto it, man, I really would like that new addition. Or I really would like to have that truck or that car. Maybe, if, maybe it's not things, maybe it's people. I would be a lot happier if my kids would behave. Or I'd be a lot happier if my wife or my husband wouldn't do this or wouldn't do that or, or would do this. Or, wouldn't do or I'd be a lot happier if my boss wouldn't get on my case so much. I'd be a lot happier uh, if things would work. Maybe if we moved to another uh, county or another parish or if we could just do this so that if I could just take a vacation, I'd be a lot happier. How many of you are ready for that right now? Say amen, right? If I could just take a vacation. <clears throat> you know, this man thought the, thought the same thing. Here's what's awesome about him. He did what most of us do. He went to Jesus. God, there's a problem in my happiness right now. My happy meter is not as high as it could be. I'm going to come to you. Man, that's probably what we should do. And this man thought in his wisdom... And in and, and, and trying to be a follower of Jesus, he said, there's a problem in my life. I'm not happy like I should be. And he goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, speak with authority in my situation. Don't we pray that? God, I want you to come down in authority and help me fix this in my life, right? Well, that's good Pentecostal praying right there. God, I'm speaking the authority of Jesus over this situation. God, be over my finances. God, be over my marriage. God, be over uh, my ignorant brother-in-law, whatever. That's what he's praying. You know, he's, be over my ignorant brother. God, I speak with authority over my brother. Come on, Jesus. Uh, Win me on your side, you know. And he goes to Jesus with his problem. But what did Jesus do? He said, man? I just like how you put man in there. Man, what am I to do? What, who, am I so, what, what do you, who made me the, the, the judge over your situation? Why did he do that? Let's take a look here. Look, look in your, your Bible. He wants Jesus to speak with authority. He says, Jesus, my brother did me wrong. Help me. In this New Testament time, the rabbis, the teachers, they were expected sometimes to help with legal matters. And Jesus is the great judge. 
Jesus could have judged his situation perfectly, right? We know that Jesus in the final day will judge the living and the dead. He's going to have righteous judgment. But this great judge did not judge this situation. Why? Why didn't Jesus try to help his finances get worked out? Why didn't Jesus try to resolve a family problem? Why did Jesus take a step back and say, give us this parable? You see, this man's matter really wasn't a part of Jesus' commission. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, and he knew his time for judgment was at the end, and there was no kingdom glory in solving this family matter. I thought that was very interesting. Who's going to get the glory? And see, the problem was not a physical condition. It was a spiritual condition. I look in the Bible and you see the Apostle Paul. What does he say to women and to slaves in the New Testament? He says, slaves, obey your masters. Try not to leave the position you're in. Stay in the position God called you. Was Paul pro-slavery? No, absolutely. Paul was one of the the, uh, biggest liberators of freedom and equality in the church. He was uh, pro-women, but he told women, women don't go outside of the cultural bounds of what God has put you in. He... It's not about that. It's not about the physical, but it's about the spiritual, right? And so the Bible is getting to the spiritual because the moreover, the real problem for many today is not a physical solution, but it's a spiritual solution. It's not a physical problem. It's a spiritual problem. And does God get the glory for what I'm asking God to solve? God, solve this situation. God, speak with authority in this situation. And we have to ask ourselves, is God going to get the glory? Is God going to, is it about the kingdom? You see, Jesus is all about building up the kingdom of God, His church. That's all He's focused on. He's focused on seeking and saving the lost. And this man thought he was very wise in asking Jesus to help him. And he did, I think he did the right thing in coming to Jesus. We want to come to Jesus with all of our problems. But he mistakenly thought that coming to Christ would give him a financial and a legal advantage over his family member. God wasn't going to get the glory. It wasn't about the kingdom. It wasn't about building up the church. And the problem would not, if God granted him, if Jesus would have said, all right, brother, you've got to split your inheritance, you've got to come, it wouldn't bring love. It wouldn't bring those brothers together. It wouldn't bring forgiveness and reconciliation. It wouldn't bring a spiritual change in these men's lives. So Jesus is getting to the heart of the problem. And that's what we're looking at today. Maybe there's an illusion sometimes to our problems. I think sometimes we get so caught up in maybe our own problems, we forget to, where, to see really where we're standing and really what we're asking for. And, and what is our motives behind it? And who does it glorify? I thought about this this week, and you know, I posted it online, and as I was praying over the message, you know, our greatest problem today in our country is not legal. It's not civil injustices, despite the riots and the shootings we're seeing repeatedly on our news stations. It's not, it's not social or, uh, or financial disparity or social inequality. It's not political liberality, but it's spiritual poverty. That's the problem with America today. Spiritual poverty, a physical solution, will not solve a spiritual need. And one author said this, he said, This man wanted Jesus to serve him, but not to save him. 
Maybe Jesus wanted him to give up his money. What if God was saying, I don't want you, you're not supposed to have equal share. You're, not, you're supposed to love your brother even if he's a sinful man. You're supposed to forgive and, and to give to those that have asked anything from you. Don't keep a record of wrongs. Turn the other cheek. And see, it's not natural for our flesh. But we still can pray, Jesus, speak with authority in this situation. God, I need you. But Jesus comes to him. He says, you know what the real problem right now is? Covetousness. Coveting. The real problem is that you feel like I need more to be satisfied. And Jesus condemns this desire that I need to have more. It's the pursuit of gain, the desire of mammon. So many today, even in our churches, think I need this to be really satisfied in my life. If this problem wasn't occurring in my life right now, I would be happy. If this situation was different, I'd be happier than I am right now. If, if, and there's not to say that we can't go through valleys and shadows of death. It's not to say that we don't mourn, that we don't grieve, that we don't fight depression. It's not to say, look at the, the book of Psalms. It's full of ups and downs. We will go through hard, difficult times. But it's not go- it shouldn't affect our peace with God. It shouldn't affect our love for other people. It shouldn't affect our satisfaction in Jesus. And he's saying that you don't need more to be satisfied, that you can be satisfied in me. You know, sometimes the many who seek an abundance in this life really are the most discontented and worried people in the world. Yet those who have true riches in God, you're satisfied by something beyond. Something beyond this world. And let's look at this, this parable here this morning. He talked about the productive life. And this is called the parable of a rich young fool, or the rich fool. And it says this, that this man, he was a rich lord, no doubt, and he had much land that was fruitful. What does it really mean today for us in America? Let's put ourselves as this, this rich man. We won't put the fool part on yet, right? We just say we're the rich people. What does it really mean to be rich? If we put ourselves in this parable, I did some study this week. Uh, on really what richness really is in the world. Do you know that the middle class of the world today, you take the median, uh, the number of how much people make around the world. We're about to go overseas this uh, next week. The middle class of the world today live on $1,225 a year. How many people can live in America on $1,225 a year? Hardly anybody. Nobody, probably. $1,225 a year. That's what the average person in the world lives on in a year. The poorest 5% of Americans, get this, the poorest 5% of Americans are better off than two-thirds of the entire world, said CNN in 2012. In fact, 29 million Americans make up the world's top 1% of richest people. 29 million of us in this country make up the world's 1% of richest people. Even if your household today, here in Gina, Louisiana, if your household as a corporation, you're married with two kids and you made 30000 a year and that's all your family brought in, you would be in the top 15% of richest people in the world. You would be in the fifth. think about it, 30000 a year, your total family, you are now in the 15% of the richest people in the entire world. Who do you think this parable really speaks to today? When Jesus talks about riches... We are the richest people on the face of the planet, even if we only make 30000 a year with both your wife and your husband. You are the richest people on the face of the planet. And I don't think we understand. I know it's hard for me to understand that and to comprehend that. But Jesus 
was not soft on rich people. And we are rich people. So let's take this to heart today. Because a lot of times when I read this parable, I'm like, well, I'm not rich. Oh, God, you know, this is about rich people. This passage is about rich. Jesus is speaking to us. It's not about money. It's about our mentality. It's not about money. It's about our heart. And I don't care if you make 30000 or 150000 Today, this parable applies to you and I as being rich. And he's talking about today that we have been given a productive and a fruitful life. If you are living in America, you are blessed today. You've been given a fruitful country to live in. You've been given many things that many people in the world do not have and don't even have the option of having. We are blessed. We are fruitful. God has blessed this country. And God has blessed uh, us in this place today. And he says, uh, it's hard to be rich, though. Because Jesus said earlier in Luke 6, Woe to you who are rich, for you receive your comfort in full. And woe to you who are well fed now, because you'll be hungry later. And woe to you who laugh, because you'll mourn and weep. Because those of us who put everything in, being focused on this life, we miss being prepped for eternity. And what happens is, just like this rich young ruler, or this rich man, it comes a part of us, it's inner pride, this inner pride. And this man thinks within himself, look there, and he says, what shall I do with all my prosperity? And he talks to his soul, and he says, soul, this is what we'll do. You know what this means? In his being, his very self, his very inner part of his self was wrapped around, this is what I'm trying to build, this is what I'm working towards, and this is what I'm going to do with it. This is what I'm working towards, and this is what I'm going to do with it. It's all about uh, my possessions and what I'll do with it. And you know what? The, Jesus comes to him, and it's the error, the first error this man makes, is he says one word. He says, my. My fruits, my labors, my work, my barns, my house, my soul. This is what my plans are. And this is the first error that comes from inner pride. Thank God that we are all blessed, but sometimes a great blessing can be a snare. Just like this man, we can unknowingly pride ourselves in our prosperity, in our comfort. We can unknowingly, even if we don't make much, we can pride ourselves in that new couch or that being able to rest in the afternoon and watch that TV. We can pride ourselves in and even that, that blessing of a, of a junk car that we might have. And we can pride ourselves in the things that we have. And that's not necessarily bad in itself, but it gets to the point that it takes over our soul like this man. We lose this prepper perspective. God knows what we think, and Jesus is teaching us today that we are accountable for our thoughts, that the wealth of this world can choke out the Word of God in us, and we can have a false sense of security, a false sense of security, and we lose the perspective. I think about today... Uh, when, we go, when, you, when you meet someone, and what do they talk about a lot? Yet you find people that you know that when you go out to lunch with them or you eat with them or you have them over or, or there's somebody in your family, uh, you're going to find some guys, all they're going to talk about is their truck or all they're going to talk about is their tires or their guns. Or you're going to find some people that all they're going to talk about is their kids or some people all they're going to talk about is their house or some people all they're going to talk about is you know where they went this year on what trip and what they did or didn't do. And, and none of those things in themselves is bad but we can unknowingly pride ourselves in things, or even in people. We can unknowingly pride ourselves in our family. My family's so awesome. My kids are so cute. They're the best. Look on Facebook. You'll find one of us parents always posting our children's pictures. Those things are not bad in themselves, but are we priding ourselves? And God knows what we think. 
And James chapter 1, verse 9 teaches us that humility is a high position in God's eyes. It's, it's a, uh, a thing to be attained is humility. And we should glory in humility, realizing everything will pass away. But there's one thing that remains. Us and God. Our heart being in His hands. And so, like we read this morning, Psalms 103, forget not. Do we, do we credit God for our blessing? Do you credit God for running water? You know, the, the times I've come back on a mission trip and I come back and uh, we, ate it, we went to uh, uh, Port-au-Prince, Haiti for uh, 10 days and we didn't eat any, any kind of good, we ate, we ate food, I'll say that. So sick when I came back and we walked in the airport and there was this glow. You know what it was? Applebee's. It was just this glow. It was like that heavenly music goes, ah, and you just like, thank God for Applebee's, you know? Uh, it's not my favorite restaurant, but at that moment, it, you go home, you thank God for running water. Thank God for air conditioning. Thank God for electricity. Thank God for His provisions that little is much because, God, all I need is You. Thank God for food on my table. Thank God for, for being, uh, health, having good health. That I see that everything I have is a gift for God. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget none of His benefits. What is a fruitful life to you? What does your life produce? This life is temporary. Everything is fading. If, I don't care if you live in a trailer or a mansion. Thank God. Thank God, because money will satisfy you if you let it. Money will satisfy you if you let it. But if you're only satisfied with the things of this world, your danger in losing the things that money cannot buy, that's your eternal security in Jesus Christ. He's telling us how to be prepared today, church. It's not the kind of prepper that we think about in the doomsday prepper of this world of stocking up and hoarding things, but it's a spiritual preparedness, and it comes with hard work. It comes with hard work. This man, no doubt, was a hard worker. Hard work is good. Right, right, men? Right? Hard work is good. The Bible's clear. Hard work is good. Scripture says in Proverbs repeatedly, hard work brings reward. Lazy people, you're going to want much, you're going to get little. Amen? Amen? Thinking about our country today. Yet those who work hard, Proverbs says, will prosper. God planned good planning and hard work leads to prosperity. Believers should be some of the most hardworking people on the planet. And laziness is a sin. Let me just tell you, laziness and not hard work is a sin. You might need to go to your Bible about that one. But what is our hard work for? Because Jesus is about to challenge our status quo today. What is all of our hard work for? I, I know... Some of the people in the South are some of the most hardest-working people in the face of America. The South. Come on, be prideful. We are some of the hardest-working people. We provide the food for the rest of our country in the South, right? Some of the hardest-working, good morals, hard work, dedication, family values. But what is it all for? Because we can have great plans, but they better be God's plans. This man had great plans, but they weren't God's plans. He says... I'm going to build greater things. I'm going to do greater things in my life. I am going to work hard now to I can have great things. I'm going to work real hard and take in those extra hours so I can have more toys. I'm going to work hard now. I'm going to provide myself with a good bank account so that me and my family can rest in retirement, that we can do uh, travel the world, do the things that we want to do. 
but this man planned to build greater, but he ignored God's principles to be greater. Are we concerned about a great life or a great afterlife? That's kind of what I get out of it. Are we concerned about a great life or a great afterlife? If you could really talk to, if we think about it this way, let's go fast forward, get in our DeLoreans and go into the future. And if you could go and say you spent 10 million years in heaven thus far, and you could come back to yourself today, what would you tell yourself? What do you think you'd tell yourself? Think about this. Have you ever thought about this before? If you could get yourself that's been 10 million years in the presence of God in eternity, 10 million now, 10 million years, come back and talk to yourself right now, what would you tell yourself? What's really important? It don't matter. Things in this life don't matter. That's why Jesus is like, dude, I don't care if your brother gets the inheritance or not. He's bold. I don't care if you don't get that house. I don't care if you don't get that job. It don't matter. Is your family saved? How's your heart? Are you getting people to go with you? Because it's going to be 10 million years from now, and we're not going to be talking about this anymore. It don't matter, okay? And you have to see these things like this in the Bible. You've got to bring it to reality. It doesn't matter. The beach don't matter. I want to go to the beach this year. I've surprised my wife with a cruise for our 30. We're both turned 30 this year. We deserve it, right? We're over the hill now. No, not really. It's only getting worse from here. We're going to, you know, I want to do that, but it don't matter. I don't care if I go or not. It don't matter, okay? It doesn't matter. This life doesn't matter. I can have all the great plans I want, but they better be God's plans. They better be God's plans. And He has a great plan to build up His church, and that's all He's concerned about. He is concerned about His bride, the church, about seeking and saving the lost. And look in James chapter 4, verse 13. We better be saying, God, Your will be done. Because in James chapter 4, verse 13, He says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we'll go do this or such and such. Go to this city, spend a year there and engage and do business, make a profit. But I tell you, you don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and vanishes away. But instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will. If the Lord wills, I'll buy that truck. If the Lord wills, I'll go to that vacation. If the Lord wills, I'll buy an extra gallon of milk this week. If the Lord wills, I'll do this or that. If the Lord wills, I'll take out that loan for that house. If the Lord wills, I'll be here next year. If the Lord wills. Everything. God, it's not about my plans. It's about your plans. God, it's about not about my greatness, but it's about your greatness. And this man lost this opportunity because God gave him the wealth for an opportunity to see the glory of God come down in his life. God has given us, the Church of America, a great opportunity to see a great end times harvest. God has given the Church in America the Holy Spirit for a great opportunity to see a great end time revival. We have the opportunity to finish the Great Commission. The American Church is rich enough to see the proclamation of the Gospel go around the world if we're interested in God's plans instead of our great plans. God's got plans. 
And are we on the same page with God? Because we may like to work hard, but is it kingdom work? I'm going to tell you today, we've got to get to a place of proper balance in our life. Not being self-sufficient in ourselves, but to understand that to be in God's will is to be under God's authority. Think about that today, church. To be in God's will is to be under God's authority. We need to teach our kids that. Teach our students that. To be in God's will is to be submitted to God's authority. God, this life is not my own. You bought me with a price. You ransomed me from death. I no longer have anything. I'm a slave to you and your righteousness. I pride myself in being a friend of God, Lord, to being uh, a child of God, but I'm also a slave to God. I'm also submitted to your authority, God. Not my will, but your will be done. And I want to fulfill what's required of me in the Bible, what it says that God just told us in Micah 6, 8, what's required of us. Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly. Deuteronomy 10, 12, to fear God, walk in His ways, love and serve Him with everything inside of me. And even Jesus, if I look in the Word and it says, these are the basic instructions before leaving earth And Jesus says in Luke 12 to sell your possessions, sell your excess, the things you don't really need and don't really matter. Give them to the poor. Give them to charity. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We live on a lot of excess in America. And it's not our fault and in and of itself is not bad. But if we have great plans to do great things, they better be God's greatness and God's plans. It better be for God's greatness and for God's plans. And he talks about relaxation. I don't want to go too long this, this morning, but he talks about relaxation. You know what? Rest is good. This man wanted to work hard to relax later. I hope all of you are saving for retirement. I hope you are. Brother Ron, I hope you're saving for retirement, brother. <laughs> I already got there. Relaxation is good. Today, no doubt, how many of you will take a nap? If your kids allow you, some of us will, right? Uh, And those of you who have your kids out of the house, you're saying, praise the Lord, I get to take a nap. You know, uh, relaxation is good. You know, God even commanded the Sabbath day to rest. He commands it. You need it. You need rest. And how many would say, like we said this morning, I could use a vacation. Hallelujah, glory to Jesus. In the name of God, to God's glory, I'll use a vacation if somebody gave it to me, right? Rest is good. Rest is good. But you know, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, 23 Because of the curse of sin that came upon us at the fall, we were cursed to work by the sweat of our brow. We were cursed to work. Women, you were cursed to labor. So labor and work come together. We... And Solomon knew this, and he said it, and then looks at man in Ecclesiastes 2, he says that in all of this world, you look at man, and all of his daily tasks, they're painful. And even at night, our minds don't stop thinking about all that we have to do. How many can agree with that? How many know all about that? Even at night, I can't stop thinking about everything that's going on in my life. I I don't know where my job will be tomorrow. Many in our church, many in our community, where's my job? I don't know where we're going to be. It's a curse. And it's not the way God designed life to be lived. But God has provided a way in His Word for you and I to have holy rest, to have true peace, true joy, true satisfaction. And it's not in the things that our flesh would naturally think like this man. He erred because he focused and measured his enjoyment 
by human standards. He pursued physical comfort. He found security in his riches and his vacations and his time that he's going to save up for his future retirement. But he did not prep for eternity. You know, and I think this is a shock probably to most of us, but Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49 says it. We think about the fall of America and the rise of homosexuality today as as one of the great reasons for a soon fall of our country. And we often think of Sodom and Gomorrah being burned for homosexuality, which is true. But it says also in Ezekiel that they were also, the judgment of God came upon that city because it was arrogant, because it had abundance of food and it lived the life of ease, but they did not help the poor and needy. It wasn't just homosexuality. I think if we want to talk about sin in America today, we better start with the church. The church is the hope to the world. The church has all the power and the tools and the resources given to it by God Almighty, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, who's given the mighty Holy Spirit to get this great commission done, to meet the world's needs, to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to visit the imprisoned, to redeem people from the pit. We have been given every amount of fruitfulness we have need of to see people reached in a lost and dying world. God has given me a vision several years ago about the church being on vacation. And I think it's very appropriate today as we think about soon, and many of us will be going on vacation today, where there's no vacation for the church of God. There's no vacation for the kingdom of God. And many today in the American church are on vacation long before God is ever called quitting time. Until Jesus comes, there's no true rest for the mission of the church. There's no retirement for the kingdom of God until we're united with Him on that great and glorious day. It's a lie of the devil to find comfort or enjoyment in gaining things in this life, to pursue a life of wealth, of ease, of comfort, while we disregard the eternal future of so many that are lost and dying. I was thinking this week and asking myself, you know, what satisfies my soul? Is it reaching the lost or is it reaching the beach? Is it giving to the poor or is it giving to my bank account? Am I most satisfied when I make that good deposit or am I most satisfied when I give it away? Is it being in my pew or is it being in my recliner? What satisfies my soul the most? What gives me ease and comfort and peace? You see, we have to change our concern from the me and the now to the them and the later. What about them and their later? God's got me and now covered. I'm blessed. Thank the Lord. I'm, I'm secure in Jesus. But there's so many of them who don't have a later. If you could talk to yourself 10 million years in the future, what would that conversation look like today, church? What would you tell yourself about what really matters, about what to be concerned about, what to be worried about, that it's all going to be okay? God's big God. He's got that person you're concerned about that you don't know if they're going to make heaven or not. You can't control them. God's got it. Pray for them, witness to them, love them. Your finances, your house, your retirement, all that stuff, it don't matter. God's got you. 
What does Jesus say? But come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And He's going to give you rest for your soul. To the depths of you, He'll give you rest. He provides, we preached this last several weeks, living water that quenches your thirst. The presence of the living God to be inside of you. Even David, that's what he longed for in Psalms 27. One thing I could ask that I would seek just to be in the presence of God, just to be in the temple of God and, and dwell in the house of the Lord. To behold His beauty. You know, nothing, the beach, will not satisfy you like being in the presence of God. You can't go on enough vacations to find rest for your soul. You can't take enough trips. You can't get involved in enough hobbies. You can't take enough days off to get that true refilling, that refreshment that you really are longing for. It's only in the presence of God and in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And there's heavenly riches. Today, there's hope and heavenly riches that Jesus has provided for those who, He says, seek His kingdom. And all these things in this earth, they'll be added to you, your needs. Trust God. He'll provide. Give, and it will be given to you, running over. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. He t- Paul says it in 1 Timothy 6, to be rich in good works, generous, ready to share. Store up for themselves treasure of a good foundation for the future. So you can really take hold of what really life is. What really is life to you? I asked you before we began, how do you really measure your abundance in life? What, what is your life really consist of there's hope today worship team would you come back can you really have faith in God and be anxious about your daily needs God doesn't even forget the sparrows we know that he, we trust in him and his plans pursue his riches his greater plans every head bowed every eye closed in this place let's just Meditate on the Word of God this morning. Apply it to our lives. Nobody moving around. Nobody preparing to leave. We've got plenty of time. You know, I don't like to speak on money, and I hope you know this sermon really isn't about money at all. The sermon has nothing to do, really, with wealth and the way the world thinks of it. But I want to be rich in God. I don't want to be focused on my own great plans and miss God's plans. I don't want to just be working hard and miss doing kingdom work. And I don't want to get to the end of my life and think, man, Heath, what if you could have done more? What about your children and your grandchildren? What, are, what about your friends, your co-workers, your extended family, your cousins, your second cousins? Aren't they the real treasures that you can take to heaven because you can't take anything in this world with you. But you can take people. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I want to take people to heaven. Because 10 million years from now, I don't care what color my house is. 
I don't care what my shoes were like. I don't care what clothes I wore. I don't care what job I had. It don't matter. I don't care how many vacations I took. I don't care if I got a day off when I really needed one. None of that really matters. But 10 million years from now, I want to say, God, I did all that I could. All those people that I prayed for that you gave to me, all those sheep, God, you called me to, to shepherd, all those people you called me to talk to, God, we're still here. We're worshiping you for eternity, God. Thank you. Thank you, Lord for your blessings. It's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you, Jesus. The Bible says in those, that, that day, but the marriage supper of the Lamb, that we'll be there with all that we've brought into heaven and everything that we think that we've ever attained, every good work we've ever done, that we'll just lay it at His feet and say, Jesus, it was all about you. Lay our crowns at His feet and say, Jesus, it was all about you. Even the good things I did, Jesus, it wasn't for my glory, but it's for your glory. Not for my plans, but for your plans. See, I don't want to be a church that's on vacation. I don't want to be a church member that's on vacation. I want to be a person that says, God, I'm going to work the kingdom work until that final day where I get to rest for eternity, where the peace that passes understanding just takes me over. No worries in the world. And until that day, God, I just need your Holy Spirit to fill me up. Give me strength. Give me fullness, God.